If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of June 26, 2022. The podcast that's in the basement mixing up the medicine. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's auriculate the news of the bogus. We'll start off with more information about the Uvalde school shooting, yet another one where the police just stood outside doing nothing. But this part is absolutely unconscionable. One of the victims was Ava Mireles, a fourth grade teacher. Her husband, Ruben Ruiz, is a police officer for the school district who had held active shooter drills. He was on the scene after the gunman entered the school and began his rampage. According to Texas Department of Public Safety Director Colonel Stephen McCraw, Morales had called Ruiz and told him that she'd been shot and was in room 112 dying. And what happened to him is he tried to move forward into the hallway. He was detained and they took his gun away from him and escorted him off the scene. Yes, he tried to save his wife and stop the gunman. And the other officers physically stopped him from doing so. She died surrounded by 19 of her students, all of whom had waited more than an hour for police to come save them. Police that had already been on the scene three minutes after the shooter entered the building. The police had even stopped parents from rushing inside the building to defend their children and stop the shooter. We know from our past coverage that a single citizen with a gun can turn the tide of a mass shooting. When a rampage shooter is stopped by police, on average 14.3 people are killed. When stopped by an armed civilian, it's 1.8. Even when the civilian is unarmed, it's 2.6. But as McCraw said, quote, The only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering room 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander, who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children. While they waited, the on-scene commander waited for a radio and rifles. Then he waited for shields. Then he waited for SWAT. Lastly, he waited for a key that was never needed. The post-Columbine doctrine is clear and compelling and unambiguous. Stop the killing. Stop the dying. You can't do the latter unless you do the former. One thing they're not telling us is who stopped him, but then there's a lot about this they're not telling us. And State Senator Roland Gutierrez is suing the Texas Department of Public Safety to find out a lot of it. Gutierrez said, quote, In the wake of this massacre, the state of Texas has completely failed to provide the community of Uvalde with truthful answers. Weeks have come and gone, and yet families who lost their children have not been told by their government the basic information about who was on site as their children bled, what tools were at their disposal to stop the gunman, and exactly why they decided to wait instead of act. Gutierrez is also alleging in court documents that police have made, quote, provably false misstatements and misinformation surrounding the law enforcement response to the school shooting. According to the petition, ProPublica and the Texas Tribune have submitted some 70 public information requests, including 911 recordings, body and police dash cam footage, and recordings of radio communications between various law enforcement agencies. These petitions have been resisted by various government agencies using the law enforcement exception to deny the open records requests. 
In one case, a request for body camera footage was denied because it would, quote, provide criminals with invaluable information about its investigative techniques, information sharing, and criminal analysis. I guess law enforcement aren't big fans of Kirchhoff's principle. Gutierrez said, quote, From the very start, the response to this awful gun tragedy has been full of misinformation and outright lies from our government. On the first day following the shooting, Governor Abbott told us that without law enforcement's quick response, this situation would have been worse. That was one of several political narratives that turned out not to be accurate information. Abbott had later said, quote, I am livid about what happened. The information I was given turned out in part to be inaccurate, and I am absolutely livid about that. Reports like the one we just covered have been trickling out since the tragedy, but Gutierrez said that more needs to be done. Quote, Students and teachers lay dying in the classrooms, hopelessly dialing 911 while law enforcement held back and waited for keys, despite having at least three ballistic shields and a breaching tool on site. By not taking common-sense gun safety measures to prevent such atrocities as this, the state of Texas failed 21 Texans, their families, and countless others touched by the tragedy. It's unthinkable that this kind of cover-up happens. It's similar to what happened with Sandy Hook. Public records requests were illegally denied and obstructed for years until we finally learned that Sandy Hook Elementary School had taken none of the basic precautions to keep children safe, not even a room they could lock from the inside like most schools have had since Columbine. By the time all of that did come out, the school had been razed to the ground and no further investigation was possible. In fact, Connecticut created a special exception to their Freedom of Information Act to specifically exclude the investigation into the Sandy Hook shooting. Not that you'll ever hear this stuff from the legacy news media because they just focus on the gun and about suing the conspiracy cranks. The real issues never seem to get touched upon. Will it be the same with Uvalde? It seems like it might. At least the police issue is getting some attention, but what about the rest? What safety protocols should have been put in place post-Columbine but weren't? Aside from security theater that doesn't work, like metal detectors and active shooter drills, duck and cover resurrected! Some things that have been proven to work include doors that lock from the inside and allowing teachers with CCWs to carry in the classroom. But hey, let's try more of what has never worked once in all of history. After all, who cares about actually making kids safe when there's a narrative to push? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, Comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency. 
without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. One useless policy that, as I and others have demonstrated, absolutely will be abused is red flag laws. And actually, that's the determination of most Americans as well. We've all heard about swatting. Some of us have experienced directly the harm a liar can do to your reputation, including your legal status. One of this podcast's co-hosts found out the hard way that defending your mother from a domestic abuser can instantly turn around on you and your gun rights are taken away. And every defense attorney has stories about liars who went into court ex parte to get an emergency order, lied about their clients, had nothing happen to them, but their clients' lives were upheaved, sometimes permanently. This survey conducted by the Trafalgar Group and Convention of States Action asked if they believed, quote, red flag gun control laws designed to temporarily take guns away from individuals has the potential to be abused by local authorities and government officials to disarm their political opponents and or citizens who disagree with them. The response was as clear as it was partisan. 46.7 said yes, they would be abused, 30.8 said no, with 22.5% unsure. Only 16.4% of Democrats said yes, compared with 72.2% of Republicans and 52.3% of Independents. So you see who was dragging the numbers down. But only a little over half of Democrats said no, 53.5%, compared to 14.1% of Republicans and 23.4% of Independents. 30.1% of Democrats were unsure, as were 13.7% of Republicans and 24.3% of Independents. Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler said, quote, Americans want real, workable solutions to the mass shootings we are seeing in this nation, but it's obvious they don't see the proposed red flag laws as the answer. Government officials at all levels have spent the last two years demonizing their opponents and using whatever means possible to censor or threaten those who disagree with them. So the idea that we should now trust those same people to not abuse a law that could infringe on basic constitutional rights is laughable. Yeah, true. Remember that it was Democrats who were screeching that parents at school board meetings who complained about their policies were domestic terrorists. As Meckler said, quote, More and more Americans are coming to the conclusion that the government abuses any power it's given, and they are responding accordingly. So now you know who wants the abuse to happen. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. 
You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. So we're starting to find out what the proxy war with Russia and Ukraine is really about, and it's something the U.S. government has been wanting for decades. The U.S. government's Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe, CSCE, has just held a briefing on the necessity of partitioning Russia. Because partitioning has worked so well every other time it's been tried, right? Partitioning would mean dividing Russia up into smaller countries, Russia itself being a tiny part of what it is now, with other segments going to the Ural, Siberia, Saka, and others. If you want to know who the CSCE is, on their own website they say, quote, The Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe, also known as the U.S. Helsinki Commission, is an independent commission of the U.S. federal government. For over 45 years, the Commission has monitored compliance with the Helsinki Accords and advanced comprehensive security through promotion of human rights, democracy, and economic, environmental, and military cooperation in the 57-nation OSCE region. In other words, it's a foreign arm of the U.S. government. The panel is led by four men and one woman, all of whom have cycled through the NGO regime change complex, the revolving door we've covered between groups like the International Crisis Group, Radio Free Europe, the Soros Octopus, and others. Basically, they're all groups of neocons. Only now, they're shifting their rhetoric. In the past, this was all about spreading freedom and democracy. See Iraq and Libya for how well that worked out. Especially after 9-11, the whole spreading democracy rhetoric was used to justify U.S. imperialism in Iraq, Afghanistan, Egypt, Syria, and many others under George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and now Joe Biden. We had a brief respite while they were suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, but now they're back. Earlier this year when Putin invaded Ukraine, the U.S. just said they were intervening to degrade Russian forces and give the Ukrainians a fighting chance. Then, after the first few weeks, it shifted to regime change, wanting to oust Putin and establish the blessings of holy democracy to Russia. Now, it's clear that not even that is good enough for them. They want Russia to be divided into smaller countries to make it easier for the U.S. to control them. Don't think Putin isn't going to make propaganda hay with this. By the way, separating Donetsk, Luhansk, and Crimea from Ukraine, like the people of those areas overwhelmingly want, totally off the table. So anyway, let's get on to the shift in rhetoric. It's no longer about spreading democracy, it's about decolonization. Yes, they're adopting the lingo of woke culture. Quote, Russia's barbaric war on Ukraine, and before that on Syria, Libya, Georgia, and Chechnya, has exposed the Russian Federation's viciously imperial character to the entire world. Its aggression also is catalyzing a long-overdue conversation about Russia's interior empire, given Moscow's dominion over many indigenous non-Russian nations, and the brutal extent to which the Kremlin has taken to suppress their national self-expression and self-determination. Yes, it's all about giving the indigenous populations their own nation. Replace nation with reservation if you want to know the problems with that. And by the way, 
Did you notice that now they're completely ignoring everything the U.S. did in Syria and Libya and blaming it all on the Russians? And what about Chechnya when Russia put down an insurgency led by Al-Qaeda? The rhetoric always changes with the times. In the 90s, it was about stopping drug trafficking. In the 2000s, it was about spreading democracy and stopping terrorism. Now, in the 20s, it's all about spreading social justice. What could possibly go wrong? Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to decalcify this week's biggest Bogani matter. And this week it goes to USA Today, who has had to remove 23 articles after it was discovered that the reporter had completely fabricated her sources. Yes, USA Today, one of the most prominent fact-checking organizations, rated 100 out of 100 by NewsGuard, has been deliberately spreading fake news. The retracted articles include stories about the danger of Russia taking over a Ukrainian nuclear power plant, gerrymandering in Georgia's redistricting, a pride flag at Virginia Tech being replaced with a Confederate flag, and anti-vaxxers drinking urine to cure COVID. By the way, they still have stories up wrongly attributing the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick to attacks by protesters, how inflation is an unfounded fear put forward by conspiracy theorists, how the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation, and their Twitter video showing that one available accessory to the AR-15 is a chainsaw bayonet. So you decide how seriously they're taking this. USA Today is named Gabriella Miranda as the journalist responsible, who had resigned from USA Today weeks ago. She has also deleted her LinkedIn account. Miranda's reporting had also appeared in Yahoo News, MSN, and the Sydney Morning Herald. USA Today audited her stories after receiving an external correction request, whatever that is. It really sounds like someone had called out their fake news, Perhaps it was someone involved in one of the stories. Perhaps it was someone who was claimed to be a source but really wasn't. Perhaps it was someone whose quote was misattributed to someone else. All of those things were found in the audit. But USA Today isn't saying where this request came from or what the scope of it was. They also don't seem to be asking the bigger question of how 23 completely bogus stories got accepted for publication by the organization that's positioned itself as one of the world's premier fact-checkers. Better just keep saying undisclosed or confidential sources. You can never get called out for those. 
But now they've got their scapegoat, and she's totes the only one. Yes, sirree, Bob. They've totally solved the problem and have no more issues with fraudulent sources. Don't ask about how it all managed to slip by us, the greatest fact-checking organization on the planet. Please go back to your lives and forget anything like this ever happened. So all of that makes USA Today this week's Biggest Bogun Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's formiculate this week's... Idiot And this week, it goes to New York Governor Kathy Hochul for not understanding the first thing about how the Constitution works. Big surprise, I know. So, big news this week from the Supreme Court. They struck down 6-3 to three New York's concealed carry law as a violation of the Second Amendment. New York had required anyone wanting a license to carry a gun outside their homes to demonstrate, quote, proper cause even though it's the Bill of Rights, not the Bill of Proper Causes. By the way, self-defense was not considered a proper cause. You had to show a special need for self-protection, even though it's not the Bill of Special Needs either. What would it mean if this line of thought were applied to other amendments? You'd better show proper cause why you need to speak in the town square. You need to show proper cause why you need to peacefully assemble. Don't want troops quartered in your home? You need to show us proper cause. Oh, and when we arrest you for all that, you'll need proper cause to show us why you have a special need for a jury trial. Really, to put this into perspective, read through the decision and substitute speech for gun. Clarence Thomas wrote the opinion of the majority where he said that courts should uphold gun restrictions only if there's a tradition of such regulation in the U.S. I say screw that. Our rights are not subject to the dictates of tradition. If tradition says we can't carry a gun, then screw tradition. The court ruled, When the Second Amendment's plain text covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution presumptively protects that conduct. The government must then justify its regulation by demonstrating that it is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Only then may a court conclude that the individual's conduct falls outside the Second Amendment's unqualified command. If the last decade of Second Amendment litigation has taught this court anything, it is that federal courts tasked with making such difficult empirical judgments regarding firearm regulations under the banner of immediate scrutiny 
often defer to the determinations of legislatures. But while that judicial deference to legislative interest balancing is understandable and elsewhere appropriate, it is not deference that the Constitution demands here. The Second Amendment is the very product of such an interest balancing by the people, and it surely elevates above all other interests the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use arms for self-defense. It is this balance, struck by the traditions of the American people, that demands our unqualified deference. Of course, a lot of gun control nutbars will be screeching about how the Second Amendment only applies to muskets somehow, even though it absolutely applied to other weapons that existed at the time, including repeating rifles and even cannons, but it's completely irrelevant. Quote, we have already recognized in Heller at least one way in which the Second Amendment's historically fixed meaning applies to new circumstances. Its reference to arms does not apply only to those arms in existence in the 18th century. Just as the First Amendment protects modern forms of communications and the Fourth Amendment applies to modern forms of search, the Second Amendment extends, prima facie, to all instruments that constitute bearable arms, even those that were not in existence at the time of the founding. Thus, even though the Second Amendment's definition of arms is fixed according to its historical understanding, that general definition covers modern instruments that facilitate armed self-defense. The court concluded, Throughout modern Anglo-American history, the right to keep and bear arms in public has traditionally been subject to well-defined restrictions governing the intent for which one could carry arms, the manner of carry, or the exceptional circumstances under which one could not carry arms. But apart from a handful of late 19th century jurisdictions, the historical record compiled by respondents does not demonstrate a tradition of broadly prohibiting the public carry of commonly used firearms for self-defense. Nor is there any such historical tradition limiting public carry only to those law-abiding citizens who demonstrate a special need for self-defense. We conclude that respondents have failed to meet their burden to identify an American tradition justifying New York's proper cause requirement. Under Heller's text and history standard, the proper cause requirement is therefore unconstitutional. The main argument of the dissent is pretty much what you'd think, which is, why, why, why mass shootings? Alita responded in a concurring opinion, quote, Why, for example, does the dissent think it is relevant to recount the mass shootings that have occurred in recent years? Does the dissent think that laws like New York's prevent or deter such atrocities? Will a person bent on carrying out a mass shooting be stopped if he knows that it is illegal to carry a handgun outside the home? And how does the dissent account for the fact that one of the mass shootings near the top of its list took place in Buffalo? The New York law at issue in this case obviously did not stop that perpetrator. And it's not just that it didn't stop that person, it made it impossible for other people to stop him. It's not just that it failed to stop it, it made it far deadlier than it needed to be. Alito acknowledged that when he cited the survey data showing that defensive gun use occurs up to 2.5 million times a year. Quote, a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report commissioned by former President Barack Obama reviewed the literature surrounding firearms use and noted that studies that directly assess the effect of actual defensive uses of guns have found consistently lower injury rates among gun-using crime victims compared with victims who used other self-protective strategies. 
And if you want a lot more such statistics from the peer-reviewed literature, just see my gun control playlist on YouTube. Quote, All that we decide in this case is that the Second Amendment protects the right of law-abiding people to carry a gun outside the home for self-defense, and that the Sullivan Law, which makes that virtually impossible for most New Yorkers, is unconstitutional. Today, unfortunately, many Americans have good reason to fear that they will be victimized if they are unable to protect themselves. And today, no less than in 1791, the Second Amendment guarantees their right to do so. In other words, the frequency of armed attacks is a reason to support the right of law-abiding citizens to keep and bear arms, not restricted as the liberal justices whined. So with that established, let's get to Governor Hochul. She's preparing legislation in response to the Supreme Court ruling. I don't think she gets how this works. The legislation is unconstitutional. That means she can't wish it away with more legislation. She's calling for a special session with the New York State Legislature. Quote, In that special session, we will have worked out language that identifies restrictions on sensitive locations, which we will be defining. Unbelievable. She wasn't the only one. State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins bleated, quote, The Supreme Court today decided that guns are more important than lives. Probably very pithy to people who, one, are biased, two, haven't actually read the decision, and three, are morons. Similarly, State Senator Zelnor Myrie screeched, quote, We knew it was going to be bad bad to cut against its own precedent so sharply and to eliminate Second Amendment jurisprudence tests that they have utilized in the past, and to base all the analysis in historical tradition as if it was written by the NRA. It's breathtaking in its scope. Uh, what precedents did it go against? It was fully based on precedents! Your bogus law was struck down because it had no precedents! And again, as anyone who's actually read the decision knows, it was based pretty much entirely on Second Amendment jurisprudence tests, and the dissenters didn't mention a single one that backed them up. And despite what a lot of states are now saying, to wit, that they're going to nullify this decision, no, you cannot nullify a Supreme Court ruling. First of all, you cannot nullify the supreme law of the land, and that's the Constitution. Second, nullification is merely the states refusing to comply with or assist the federal government in unjust policy implementations. Nullification means not doing something. If you're doing something, you're not nullifying, you're violating. You're infringing, which the Constitution says you absolutely cannot do. Hotel and all of these others have just shown that they're nothing more than jackbooted thugs who don't care anything about the oath to the Constitution they swore. And Hochul herself shows that she has no clue what her job is, how the Constitution and the Supreme Court work, and how they limit her power, or even that there are limits to her power. So all of that makes Governor Hochul this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this... 
Will you get out before I cut off your head, scoop out the insides, and give it to your mother as a vase? Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Jonah Goldberg. Ultimately, social justice is about the state amassing ever-increasing power in order to do good things. What are good things? Well, whatever the champions of social justice decide this week. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.